Good evening and welcome to Shattered Live, a lively, educational, and issues-driven radio show designed to tell another side of the story, to focus on and humanize crime victims, to enlighten and shine the spotlight on organizations and service providers, and to assist those who walk the path with us. This is Donna Argore, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you this Saturday and every Saturday for education, enlightenment, awareness, and uh, sometimes entertainment, primarily surrounding the aftermath of crime and sometimes other issues, but hopefully always lively and provocative and to get conversation started. And uh, so this Saturday is no different. I welcome all of you across the across the nation, wherever you may be listening, and want to remind you that if you're not listening live, this this uh, podcast is also available on the archives uh, forever, whenever, which is a very nice feature. And uh, this evening we have a repeat guest. I think it's been about a year or so, but we 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 have a new topic, um, and and hopefully we we may have a second guest joining us. Um, from the Baltimore Guardian Angels, Marcus Ryder Dent, who is the commander, commander in chief, I'll call him, because um, he deserves that respect for all the, um, the the many and varied accomplishments he has done. And we we have a very special topic this evening. But before I bring Marcus on, I want to say good evening, Delilah, and how are you? And how how are things in uh, Myrtle Beach? Oh, it, as always, it's just paradise here in Myrtle Beach, of course. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> well, um, I think we have we have a, an extremely important topic for the show today, and this is a week that I think has shown a shift in humanity, I want to call it. I think we've seen many tragedies happen, we've seen good things happen, and we've seen bad things happen. And this this whole week has just been a frenzy with change. And sometimes it's very difficult for people to accept change and to to just peacefully take it and go on. And, And in some cases, that's not the best way to handle it. But I, I think um, with with the things that we have to talk about today, there's going to be many various opinions. There's going to be many various um, ways that people think about all of the changes that have happened in our country, which impact everyone. Uh, you're absolutely right. And um, I, unless you've been in uh, on Mars somewhere um, and you, you don't see the, the many and varied changes, Although our, our our show is primarily focused on the aftermath of crime, there's there's been so many things with regard to Supreme Court decisions affecting our health care, affecting human rights with the GBLT community this week. But what we want to talk about with Marcus and Crush Kent this evening is that um, there, there's a there's a striking contrast. You know, just a few weeks ago, Baltimore was in chaos with violence um over over an incident and and the Baltimore um guardian angels were part and parcel of trying to be peacemakers and and negotiators and and mending fences and trying to do all of those things and then just just very recently the very very tragic event that happened in Charleston that is very close to all of our hearts I was there 2 years ago and saw what went on there, and how unique a community, and look at the striking contrast between how things have been handled. And whether we talk about the symbolism of flags or or whatnot, I think we want to try to open up the conversation. We will not, you know, there's no right or wrong answers here necessarily, but I think Marcus is a very seasoned um, uh, professional with, with what they're doing. So let's Let's um, bring him in and uh, begin the discussion. And if Crush is able to join us, all the better. She'll, she'll um, help at, uh, contribute to the conversation as well. So, Marcus, I want to say thank you so much. I know it's been a little bit of trouble trying to connect, but you're here, and we welcome you with open arms. Thank you for being on Shattered Lights again. 
And thank you. This is uh, this is something I look forward to. Like you said, it's been too long. <laughs> well, we try to we try to schedule people, and we only have the best people on more than once. You know, Marcus. <laughs> so um, <laughs> anyway, um, for those people that didn't have the benefit of um, maybe hearing our last show, that was I believe last June. Um, can you just give us a very brief um, thumbnail sketch about the the evolution of your your work with the guardian angels, and then we'll we'll get into what's been going on with Baltimore. Okay. 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 Well, the guardian angels is a a, a volunteer crime watch organization started in uh, New York City in 1979 by Curtis Lewa. And in the 1980s, I was actually a part of the first chapter that came to Baltimore, which was the original chapter here in Baltimore, and uh, I stayed maybe uh, four years with that. And then, you know, left the Guardian Angels, went to go to work and live my life and do all the grown-up stuff that I was supposed to do. In 2006, I returned to restart the chapter of Guardian Angels here in Baltimore, but this time I came back as the, uh, the uh, chapter commander. Um, and it's been in, uh, since 2006, so we're going on nine years, and, and it's really good. We, we also started a chapter in Richmond, and I supervised a chapter in Georgia, and we're actually uh, working on putting together a chapter in uh, Panama City Beach, Florida. Um, so wow, we, you're in charge of, of all yeah. those places? Yeah, yeah. Hello? So we're gonna, we're, we're put, yeah. Hey, it's Crush. Yeah, we're putting them together. Oh, hi. Good morning, Crush. How are you? I'm good. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, we can. And uh, Marcus was just giving us a little bit of an introduction to the to to the angels, so you can uh, feel free to join in at any point. So okay, uh, take it take okay. it away. Take it away. Okay. Yeah. So great. So like I said, so, the Guardian Angels restarted in 2006, yep. and right. and so we're pretty much now we've become a regional chapter now because we're going to oversee different chapters. And Crush Kent, who just joined us online, is actually my assistant regional commander, and she's been with me almost three or four years now. And uh, so we've got a lot of stuff going on within the Guardian Angels, so we're pretty busy, and we have a lot of stuff going on outside the Guardian Angels on the streets, which makes us pretty busy. So we're glad that you uh, gave us this opportunity to talk about some of the stuff that we need to do. Thank you. Well, it's it's our pleasure, and you know, as you expand, are are you looking to like are, are you recruiting other regional people to help you? Because that seems like almost an impossible task to oversee all that. <laughs> it, it is, but you know, I have a I have a real good team here in Baltimore, and my leadership team are the, are the guys that I call the the six pack. So those are the ones that no matter what it is we got going on. That's the yep. fixed pack that, that we can use to uh, say, okay, here, you got this, this, and this. So we're able to focus on a lot of things at once, you know, as long as our uh, crush and I don't burn out everybody. So we, we, we try to keep a handle on it. But, yes, when we find good people in other states that we can use for the chapters, we, we have no problem snatching them on board. We need it. Well, that's great. And just, just so that we know up front and if, we're, if people are interested, are you going to all of these various um, – Regions, is this an all-volunteer organization that takes donations so that you're able to travel other places, such as some of the other nonprofits we work with? Yeah, we're all volunteer. So a lot of the donations that we can get definitely help us with something that's, you know, like gas or flyers for the, the missing and all that. So so we're definitely with 501C3 and uh, Donations is a great help, and and you know my chapter, you know, unfortunately, we we, we kind of pull ourselves together as angels to make things happen because no matter what the emergency is, you can't say sorry, we don't have the money to help you, but we do what we can. But yeah, we well, definitely take donations. Us, can you give us the information in case people would like to donate? Yeah, and if you want to donate to the Guardian Angels, you can always find our information on the website under Baltimore Guardian Angels, which is plural, dot org. Or you can you can uh, email me at baltimoreguardianangels at gmail dot com, or you can call us at four one zero nine one six two two one five. Great. All right. Well, we we want to try to uh, mention that again at the end as well. Um, wonderful. I'm I'm hearing a little bit of uh, feedback there. I'm not sure if it's from someone's phone, but uh, we'll see if we can address that. Um. Anyway, why don't we why don't we jump in and and uh, can uh, crush? Would you like to tell us from your perspective initially what 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 
what started the uh, the the violence with regard to uh, what happened in Baltimore several weeks ago, and 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 what were your initial responses as as a group? Um, you know, we were really shocked about what happened. Um, uh, you know, and honestly, we we kind of stay out of the loop. We felt like there were a lot of people that were looking for their 15 minutes of fame. Um, but we maintain our own patrol, you know, near our headquarters. If people had concerns for missing persons, we maintain everything that we did as regular or normal procedure. Um, and then we were not asked to join or do anything with the Baltimore uprising until um, I want to say about a couple of days into it. So, you know, we we may we, we remain abreast as far as you know what was going on in our communities, but we really make, remain true to the guardian angel cause. Well, you can know, you give us a little bit of? Oh, I'm sorry. Can you give us a little bit of an idea in case someone is listening and, and what, we're not familiar with what happened to to spark the violence? Can you just give yeah. us a, what happened? Um, so a young man was standing outside of an area where he uh, frequented or lived in Baltimore City. Um, I believe that was the Western District, which is not mm-hmm. such a great area. Yep. Um, the police saw him, and he took off running. Um, they detained him, and later uh, he passed due to his injuries that he received. Now, I'm not from what I only know what you know really what the what the media has allowed the public to see and what we know is Freddie Gray was alive and well before he encountered the Baltimore City Police. After he encountered the Baltimore City Police is when he um sustained those injuries that caused his death. Now whether or not the police caused them or what, I don't know. You know, we we hear conflicting stories and um I can't in the paddy I don't know. wagon there or well, that's the, that's the thing. We don't know if he sustained those injuries before the paddy wagon or in the paddy wagon. Evidence and stuff is currently being released because the trial for the six officers will come, is coming up in October. So they're releasing small bits of evidence about what's going on and what happened to him. So what we know is he was alive and well before he encountered the police. After he encountered the police is when he suffered the injury. So we don't know if he sustain those injuries in the paddy wagon or if the police officers did that to him. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And how many police were involved? Six. And what's the status of the, the police right now? Are they on suspension? What The, the police um, have actually, the ahead. Police have actually ahead, been arrested. They've actually been arrested. And <clears throat> right now what they're trying to do is they're going over the legal battles and trying to figure out if these guys are responsible for causing uh, Freddie Gray's death or not. So right now they they have been arrested. They all everybody's got lawyers, and right now they're trying yeah, to figure out. Yeah, they've been okay. arrested, but they're released. <clears throat> yeah, they're released, but they're but they're they're fa- they're going to face charges for for murder. So they're trying to figure out. You know, of course, right now it's going through the legal system to find out what exactly happened. Now, is this a civil or a criminal trial that will be taking place in October? This is a I'm criminal. Sure this is, yeah. It's a criminal it's trial. A criminal. And they're, do they, they all have the same charges? No, they no. have um, varying charges. They vary from uh, second-degree murder, murder with depraved heart, um, assault. There's an array of charges that they were charged with. Okay. But they all varied. And so the first trial will begin in October. Are there, there, are, to your knowledge, are they going to be tried separately? Uh, at this juncture, I'm not certain. I know right now the attorneys for the, uh, the, for the officers had filed motions in the court to have the trial moved from Baltimore because they feel as though the six officers will not get a fair trial here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, the, that was filed um, the prosecution has also filed things for, um, you know, uh, a gag order on the case so that stuff is not leaked. But okay. that was not granted. That was not granted. So, oh, you know, okay. we are kind of in the dark with the rest of the world waiting because, you know, every week there's, you know, new 
um, updates on the case. Uh-huh. Wow. So as a result of this, how did the how did the violence and the chaos ensue? And, you know, what as sort of an overview, what, what happened as an overarching response here? And then how well, did you, you all get involved? Well, what, what happened right after that, and I'm sure everybody who watched Fox or CNN got to see the same things that we saw. But what happened yeah. is, you know, it started out as a, uh, you know, everybody was saying, okay, we need to fight police brutality, so we're going to have our march and our protest. And so, I mean, basically through a course of every day, there was some kind of a walk or protest going on in Baltimore City to help fight police brutality and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, as you know, when you get large groups of people like that together, you, you, you also get the ones involved who are basic opportunists who, are, who can't wait to go out and wreak havoc and take advantage of whatever situation it is. But in right. that case, then you ended up having the, the little stores being looted, the business being burned, the rioting, the fighting. And uh, so there, there was, I mean, there was a whole lot that was going on. The National Guard got called in. And, uh, I mean, so it seemed like the snowball that kept rolling down that hill just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the further it went, the more problems it caused. And, you know, at present time right now, we're up to approximately 140 homicides in Baltimore City. And a lot of that violence is, in, is, the, is because of what happened here, you know, during the riots and the Freddie, Gay, Freddie Gray incident. Uh, so, uh-huh. And then, you know, needless to say, you had the little uh, the protest that took, a, took off across the country as well. So you always have somebody in other city saying, hey, we're going to support the Freddie Gray march. So now you have a protest in that city. And, and at the same time, everything that's going on between the police and community now that's negative or battling, you know, it seems like it's starting to escalate, and everybody's on this. Now, things have quieted down quite a bit, which we're glad to say, you know, and hopefully Baltimore City will soon end up uh, getting, uh, getting back to, to normal. But, you know, you still have to fix the police and community relations going forward, or, or there is no balance. Right. So was that your main thrust? And how did, in terms of strategic planning, uh, when, I, I mean, how, I know you're very involved with the community leaders and whatnot, but did they, what, with the magnitude of the problem, how do you start to try to address this? And what was it like being in the trenches there, Marcus and Fresh? Well, the well, easy was, thing about it was it horrific. Is, it was horrific? Go ahead. Yeah. It was horrific. Is, I mean, you had people that just didn't tr- they because of this incident it was like the cherry on top baltimore city you have to remember is uh makes the top 10 list of one of the mo- most violent cities every year so you have that element and then you have this element of the mistrust of the police which is a huge recipe for disaster the freddie gray uh incident it was like uh the perfect storm um mm-hmm. and with that, excuse me, with that perfect storm, a lot of stuff was revealed about Baltimore City, about the crime, about the police, and that relationship between the police and the community has been um, has never been uh, good. Uh, so, a lot of the police trying to to save this while we were in the trenches, we were trying to tell people, you know, not to, you know. Uh, riot and loot and damage property, but there's a proper way to have your voice for effective results. Um, and that's what the Guardian Angels is trying to continue to do. You know, we realize that there is this mistrust with the community and the police department, but, you know, we have to come up with effective solutions to this because in reality, we need the police and the police need us. And we mm-hmm. have to be able to work together. Because so, at the end of the day, innocent lives are being right. When you're in the midst of this chaos and people are looting and turning over cars and burning, you know, what what are some of these strategies that you're trying to use to counteract this, Marcus? Well, in when, when all this is going on, and now remember, we had the Baltimore City Police, we had the National Guard, we have every media person on the planet just about here. So in the thick of it, when they're burning and torturing everything there, the best thing to do is let the authorities handle what they can because at the same time, now, now it's a whole different ballgame. Nobody's going to stand up and nobody wants to listen and talk and work things out. So you've got to let all that stuff pass. 
and what the guardian angels were doing while well, we were being contacted by the communities that weren't in the media, that were not getting the leadership of community leaders to come up and, and march for them and talk for them. But a lot of communities were afraid and saying, hey, what do we do now? Because everything is going crazy. The police are not responding like they, like they should be or like they used to because their hands are full. You know, we're kind of caught in the middle here, which leaves us open and vulnerable for all the other stuff that comes in between during that time. You know, so what you have, I mean, our job was to, to reach out and be, to, to be the ones that filter the information, that help guide the community, help guide the politician or political leaders in that community saying, okay, this is what's going on. This is what we need to do. What do you need here? How can we help you? And this is what you can do to help yourself. You know, a lot of times when chaos ensues, you have fear, and a lot of that fear is because you don't know what's happening. You know, so a lot of people, once you sit down and say, okay, this is what's going on. This is how it affects you. This is what everybody's doing here. You know, a lot of people want to know just what's going on because it's a scary thing. And that's the kind of bridge that the guardian age were trying to do. And, and you know, of course, to come down to uh, communities that called us and said, hey, we want to be able to be trained on how to police or, or, uh, or walk our own uh, communities here. We want to know what it is we need to do and, and, and how to do this without worrying about the police or the conflicts that ensue from the community. And, you know, Curtis School, the founder of the Guardian Angels, actually came to Baltimore, and we did a couple of COP walks in the southwest and the southern districts, you know, to help get uh, community people uh, engaged again. Because during that time, I mean, it was amazing that the people who, who, who weren't out marching weren't getting involved. So you had to get the good people out and let them know, hey, it's okay, we will fix this. You know, this is fixable. And they were able to, to as long as they got the information and were were informed as to what was needed in terms of a response and established trust, then in that, like, outer circle of um, adjacent cities and towns, things things were things were better then, right? Yeah, better to a point because now, you know, every day it got a little bit easier. And one of the good things, I went to a meeting with the uh, – uh, the Office of Emergency Management last week, and uh-huh. they gave a talk about some of the stuff that they were doing behind the scenes. And even for me as a guardian agent who's been out in the street listening to everybody else, I got to hear a lot of what actually went on behind their closed doors. And one of the good things about it is, and, and you don't think about this stuff until after you hear it because you don't notice how things are normal. Things are normal, you take it for granted. But one of the things that these guys did during the course of all the havoc and rioting was they worked hard to make sure that when all the havoc and hell stopped, that Baltimore City continued to roll on as normal. And to me and you, it doesn't sound like a big deal. But with everything that's going on and how they had to do this, you look at it and say, wow, you know what, I never thought of that. These guys had to make sure that the hospital stayed up and running and every employee in the hospital got back and forth to work. They made sure that the mass transit people were able to keep the bus lines running and on schedule. You know, they made sure that even the normal working man down on the street had a ride back and forth to work. And they, so they wanted to make the city appear as normal as possible when it came to running operations. And we wake up the next day and we just assume that that's just the way it is. But, you know, at this meeting, I got to actually see how much effort it took for them to actually keep everything normal because you, you remember – they started closing schools and businesses, and they actually shut down City Hall early, you know, due to the violence. But the majority of what could have happened didn't happen, and we take it for granted as, oh, it's just normal. No, it wasn't normal. Things went back to normal because of how the Office of Emergency Management handled the situation at that time. And like I said, even at that meeting, and as a guardian angel who saw a lot of this stuff, I was pretty much I, – I was, it, it was really nice to hear – how much work they put into it to make that normal day the next day so normal. And that's something yeah. that uh, that's a benefit that a lot of people just don't get to hear. And you got to give it to the Baltimore City Police Department because these guys, and I'm sure everybody saw them being battered and spit on and belted with rocks and all this, these guys stood their ground. They, they, I mean, there's 100 and I think 60-something officers hurt, but they didn't hurt any civilians. You know, there were arrests, but nobody was hurt, nobody was injured, and they did not escalate the situation because of something stupid. They stood their ground, and, and you know, after that meet, of course, I knew the police department always does a good job of what they have to do. That's not a normal situation. But after that meeting with the Office of Emergency Management, you know, you really got to give it to 
the city on how things worked out because there is no doubt that things could have went so much worse so much faster. Right. Absolutely. So they really did a good job. Have to give kudos to all of the all of the states that have emergency management, and and those are frequently are the behind the scenes things that we never get to see. So that that's a very good point to bring up. Crush, uh, can you give us a, an update? How would you how would you um, portray the situation now in terms of level of calm or getting back to quote unquote normalcy if we can say that or a new normal? Well, let me just be clear. Baltimore City has never been normal. I've been a resident okay. of Baltimore City my entire life, 27 yep. years. And, you know, when you had drug dealers or people shooting and killing each other in broad daylight, killing right. kids, uh, yeah. one incident last year, this one drug dealer was running after another guy that owed him money. He ran into a nail salon full of patrons getting, you know, manicures, pedicures, he yep. sees the guy he's after, he shoots him in the nail salon, misses him, shoots the owner while she's given a pedicure. Oh, God. Can you imagine that? Just these are just I'm just describing this scenario right. to you, but can you imagine what, what those patrons felt like? And that yeah. that was broad daylight in Baltimore City. I think it was on a, a weekend. There's nothing that's, that type of behavior is not normal. And of course it's not. we have to um, get the residents of Baltimore City to realize that this homicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. You should not resolve your issues with guns and killing people. That is not normal. Unfortunately, the residents of Baltimore City, City feel as though that is normal. So we have to tap into that psyche and, you know, enforce that, hey, there are other ways to resolve your issues. Now, uh, one way to start doing this is really to tap into the youth, uh, provide mm-hmm. resources to them so that we don't create a generation of killers. Now, as right. far as the immediate response, um, you know, the patrols that the guardian angels do, other organizations, we really have to work together uh, to take these streets back. Because right after the uh, Baltimore uprising, we Baltimore was approving what? three or four homicides a day. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Um, so it was truly an uproar. But when we band together, and when I say we, I mean the communities, organizations, and the police, I truly believe can put a dent in the homicides here in Baltimore City. So after these we- after these weeks, it's somewhat better in in a qualitative, not a quantitative way. I mean, no, things are not better. I mean, you have people are not rioting. However, people are still being murdered in Baltimore City. Um, And broad daylight, children are being shot Mm -hmm. uh, and killed. No, there's we have a lot of work. The thing that we're not seeing is we're not there. You're not actively rioting, but all of the violence is still continuing, and and the media really isn't covering that because that's the the normal, and people are are complacent to it? They are. They are used to that. Um, you know, we will forever know Freddie Gray's name. Uh-huh. But I can't tell you, there was a homicide last weekend. I don't even remember the the victim's name. And I don't know if anybody in Baltimore City, unless it's the, the family, can name one of the homicides this year. We know Freddie Gray. We know Trayvon Martin. We know Mike Brown. Can you name any of the homicides in your city? And you probably can't because CNN, the local news media, did not bombard your cities for the to profile those crimes or even missing persons. We're looking for well, a young you know, lady right now that's that, missing, and her her mom said that the media refused to to come out and talk about her. It's insane. She's been missing for yeah. over a month. Well, it brings me to a question for both Crush and Marcus is how much do you feel like the media plays in, um, you know, keeping keeping this incited, keeping this type of behavior going on? Um, I know there was a lot of media coverage for this incident, and I really don't watch it, but I I can imagine, and I saw it all over social media, that it, it... 
it tends to manipulate the news. And we hear what we hear that's filtered through the media, whether it be in a good way or in a bad way. And how do you feel like the media treated Baltimore when this was all going on? Question, yeah. Hello? I think we lost her somewhere. I think that. Okay, go ahead. I think that the media, obviously, I mean, as as Crush said, it was sort of like a media circus here in Baltimore, and uh, you know, Baltimore was the flavor of the month. Um, and I think that what we need to do is you can't take back what had already happened with the media, but the, the media is a tremendous thing. It you know instantly it can get the news across to people, and in my opinion, I think that if we use the media correctly. You know, the media can actually be a great help to help put these cities and communities in touch with what positive things we need to do to go forward. And, you know, your question earlier to Crush about, you know, the city being back to normal, you know, it's somewhat, yeah, we have all the violence, we have the killings, but the city is some, there's no rioting, there's no crazy stuff going on, there's no marches, but there are homicides in just about every major city of our country. You know, Baltimore is really, really no different than most places, it, you know, because, you know, granted, we have crime. We have these things. How you deal with it is what makes the difference. So I think that, you know, I'm glad that the, the Freddie Gray riots or protests have, have, have been done. We're going to, you know, let the legal stuff work on and go on. But you would hope that in Baltimore, just about other cities, we sit down and take a look at this and say, okay, let's figure out collectively what we can do to solve the issues so that we can help empower this city more. You know, I don't, I don't think that, like exactly. I said, there are so many – there are so many good people in Baltimore. There are so many people, good people in the neighborhoods and so many good police. And, you know, you have the bad people that, that mess things up for all of us, and they make it hard on everybody, you know. Well, and course. one of the things that, yeah, and when that happens, we have to do everything we can, you know, to steer or help move people into the right direction or at least give them something positive to think about. And and collectively, that's just like first said, bringing people together to work in unison, but Baltimore is not a bad city. We have great cops here. We just went through a bad time right now that we have to get over. And a lot of it is, is you know, of course, something bad happens here. You get pissed for a while, and you, you know, you're agitated, you're kicking the ground, and but you have to get over it, and you have to move forward. Okay, how do we fix the problem? And that's what that's what we need to do here. And I think that if the and I I think the media can be a great help to help any city control the crime issues that they have. By bringing more light and attention on on even little things, not not like the Freddie Gray, Gray incidents or the missing persons, but help come in and be a partner with us to help us find a solution. Then we want right. you to be help us. Right, be a positive force. Be a positive they part. They to sensationalize. They want to they want to stir the pot because that's what you know sells newspapers that's, and all that other stuff. So we need you know we need to to emphasize the positive efforts and. And all of that, and I don't know how we change the tide with the mentality of the media for that because they do have the power. But all we can continue to do is try, you know. And well, you know, I'd this like leads to, me to another ahead. question, Marcus. Is um, you know, because of the fact that you are what I consider a boots on the ground type of organization, you really have the pulse of the the people and the neighborhoods that you serve. Um, what do you feel? Why was why was this incident with Freddie Gray so different from the incident in Charleston, South Carolina with Walter Scott, mm -hmm. who, you mm -hmm. know, was shot by a police officer who has since been, well, very quickly, actually, he was arrested for murder. We compare the two, but what do you feel is the difference? Can Is there a difference? And why did the, why did the rioting happen he, there and not here? I don't know. And I don't know. And it's weird because you look at some of the things, and Crush is a big uh, 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 advocate of, of the kind of thing where, okay, why do we pick one thing over another? And one of the things that, that we sit around our angel meetings and talk about is we have 140 homicides right now, but the entire country is focused on that one incident. You know, there was a month here that we shot. There were 43 people in one month killed. 43 people wow. in a month killed. And it was okay, because during that time, all we talked about was the Freddie Gray incident. So, you know, I don't know. And I think that, you know, if you look at the Freddie Gray incident, the only thing that, that we did not have here when it came to that and uprising was the racial incident. 
you know, the, you have six police officers. They were all mixed races. So, therefore, you didn't have the race component, so they had to focus strictly on police brutality. You know, mm-hmm. can you imagine if there was if those were six white officers and what happened yeah. you know, with the broke loose then? Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry. I, mean, I think, too, the, the incident in Charleston, South Carolina, someone videotaped the guy running, the cop shooting him, correct? And then putting something in his hands to make it look like the victim shot at him when that didn't happen. Is that correct? There was a videotape of the whole incident. Yes. What? What right. exactly? And I believe was shown, I'm not sure. <clears throat> if I I could be wrong, but from what I I did see, the police officer chased this young man down, and uh, the man didn't stop. But you know, he shot and killed him and then put something in his hand to make it look like he attempted to shoot or taser at the top, which wasn't true. Somebody caught this on camera. Had they not caught him doing this, then they would have believed that this victim actually tried to shoot or taser the cop, Um, which I think, which is why charges were brought so quickly onto that police officer, because we saw how he abused his power and really the mistrust. Yeah, yeah. If you think about it, though, Delilah, your question was very good because now here, you now with Freddie Gray, they don't know what happened inside that police van and what caused his death. But in your incident, it was on film. It was truly, truly, you know, you, there, there was no gray area in that one at all. So the uprising exactly. in that city would have been extremely sort of what, not justified, but you could have understood it more. So you're right. But at the same time, look what happened between the two different cities and, 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 and situation. So I don't right. know, you but you're exactly right. In the video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, because it was, it was clear. You know, it was clear right. cut, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So granted, if you wanted to have an uprising, that would have been the perfect thing to do right there because you had it right there, no ifs, ands, or buts. Here, we're trying to find the truth. So well, your, yeah. your, your question was, was awesome. You know, how, <laughs> what happened here? What's the difference? It, it, it's really hard to say. And then we bring in the, the next layer of the young in, which is, you know, what what just happened in, in Charleston with, you know, nine people getting killed in, in a place of worship and the response there, which, that's another stark contrast. So what what would you have to say with regard to, to, to that and the lives that were lost there and how that community is handling it? versus Baltimore or any other. I mean, you know, Charleston is an inner city. It's a different region. of the, It's different culturally. Um, but what would you have to say about that? I think that what happened there, and, and you got to give a lot of that credit to the community because, yeah. you, because you know what, you look, at, you look at all, I mean, of course, you know, the, you look at what happened here, and they're the ones that stepped up and said, hey, you know what, <laughs> We are not going to have this right here. And, and there was no violence. The community, I think, put that one to rest. They want, we're not going to do this. We're going to figure out what happened. We're going to get to the bottom of it. And if you look at what happened here, they put this guy on camera, on live television, as the family gave their witness impacts or their, their community impact statements of how they felt in the situation. And they all forgave him. You know, so look at, the, look at the mindset. Look at the difference of what happened there. I don't know if I could have forgiven him, but that's what they did. They forgave him right away. The entire country started talking about how the people down there are so forgiving and loving and, and God-fearing and what a great example it is. And look what this guy did. There is a perfect example. There's another reason they could have just, just, just grabbed the rugs and went out in the street and just started stomping things. Right. They could have done Incredible. it. They chose not to and, and went, on, went on live television. We forgive you for what you did. Yeah, you know, it's, so it's, it's the people. It's, 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 you know, you get one person or, or a group of people that says, hey, you know, and like Crush said, the community can stop the violence, just like the ones in those two, especially the nine shooting ones. They stopped that. So mm-hmm. I have to totally agree with you. I think, you know, this is, I, I don't know, being from South Carolina, this is kind of a, a I don't know. I'm I'm a little biased. I'm happy to see the way the situation was handled and I'm happy to see the fact that the community was able to keep out outside forces who who tend to show up and incite things and and their message 
isn't always good for that community, and they were able to stop that. So I, I have to say I'm really proud of the state right now. We're all we're usually, you know, in the top ten of the of the worst bad things, and luckily <laughs> this time I, I right. think the citizens of South Carolina, especially Charleston. Right. With the Unity the March moment. that was held there, it, it gave people hope. And you're not going to find peace within a, a situation until there's hope. And for them to organize something so quickly that expanded so big, um, they apparently were expecting maybe 200 people to walk across the bridge, and there were 20,000. So I, I'm really proud of of our state right now, I, I think we handled it well and, and we'll continue to handle it well. And it's it's been such a horrible tragedy, but again, they're they're doing it right. Right. I, I, I couldn't agree more and I know I'm sort of a part time South Carolinian, but I'm I'm very I'm very proud of that too. And I saw, you know, like I say, when I went there in two thousand and thirteen and I was invited specifically to um to uh, participate in their holiday vigil with homicide survivors. And I met many of the community leaders there in that church and the people that deal with with homicides and, and go to their their support meetings. I was, uh, I was just so overwhelmed with how they embraced me as an ordiner and they embraced what I had to offer. And I just can't say enough good things. I have reached out to them to try to assist if and when they need it in terms of victim impact. Um, you know, perhaps in the future, I guess right now there is an outpouring from my contacts there, but I, I say it um, now that if they do need my help in the future, um, I will I will be here because I'm just so impressed with with what has gone on. And, you know, Marcus, I wonder if, the community leaders there, do you see that um, either in Baltimore or some of these other cities, um, would it be a good idea to, for the community leaders in Charleston to, to maybe um, consult with people in Baltimore and other areas? Because maybe they somehow have a magic formula that, that they could offer or other, you know, approaches that haven't been used in cities like yours. Well, I mean, it wouldn't help. I mean, it wouldn't hurt. It definitely wouldn't hurt to have them reach out and say, hey, this is how we did this. But at the same time, um, it's one of those things where I think the people there reached out and handled their business. There was no fanfare. There were no meetings before it. They did it because that's who they are and that's how they felt at the time. It was an instant thing. And a lot of times when you're trying to talk somebody down, which is what we do quite a bit, you know, you got to talk them down. At first, you got to get them to understand that, hey, we got to reach a compromise here, and then they have to want to do it. So there really is no thing that says, oh, this is how we, you know, this is how we did this. This is the, it's, it's what you want or it's not what you don't want, period. This is what you do. So there's, like, you, you, it's, it's hard to tell somebody, well, you know, if you flip this switch, then this is how right. it works out for you. You got to want to do it, and it, it's, it's within yourself. And, you know, you look at all the mediators and all the shows like yours that help give people things to think about to help control their actions. And here, let's think about it this way before you throw the whole thing out the window. Let's, let's talk about options here. And people have to want to have that option, but I think in, in that city, that's who those people are. That's, that was at the core of them, and that's right. how they reacted. And, you know, mm -hmm. when you go into a violent neighborhood, you got, you're, in a, you're in a neighborhood full of people who didn't do anything but fight and wreak havoc all over time, you know, such as gangs or violence or whatever. That's how you respond. That's what you do. And he, even here, we have the people here that respond in a, in a nice Christian way, peaceful way, but you don't see them a lot because the other ones are getting that much more attention over them. And then the people who say, well, you know what, I'd have probably talked this out and worked it out, they're not getting involved with that kind of stuff because it is a safety hazard. You know, so, you know, one of the things, like Crush said, our biggest thing here that we can try to do is meet with our communities and try to build somewhat of a procedure or uh, a method of understanding on how we can solve our problems and, you know, basically find out what the problems are so we can start to address them. You have to and I think, too, these incidences, I'm sorry. Go ahead, uh, go ahead. These type of tragedies teach us 
you know, regardless of whether we are guardian angels, police, teachers, just people in the community, you know, how it's important to, you know, not grieve over these tragedies, but learn from them. You know, what, what have we learned from them? How, what can we do moving forward to prevent these types of things from happening? You know, what happens in the schools, movie theaters, now the church. Um, but yeah. I think it really causes a lot of people, regardless of where you are in your life or what you're doing, to really reflect on what you are doing, how you can, you know, better your community as well. Absolutely. It's invaded every institution that we have. I mean, what's more sacred than a than a house of worship? But, you know, also what I'm wondering is we, we have about, I don't know, 13 minutes or so to the show just to let you know. Um, is it in... A lot of a lot of the violence is around drug dealing, but do you see where if you can instill the the um, initiatives of what the guardian angels do? Do you? Uh, I've forgotten. You might have told me this in the previous show or at the Q Center when we met. Do you do you try to recruit youth? for the guardian angels before they get to that point of violence so you can kind of turn them around and maybe start working or advocating for the the guardians versus taking another path? Yeah, we do. We actually we actually have a junior angels uh program that we're we're, we're going to definitely kick back on um Tell us and about the that. thing well what that is is you know Kids from 8 to 15 years old can join the Guardian Angels. You do the same training that the Guardian Angels do as far as school-type stuff. Uh, you do every, they do everything but patrol. And at the same time, one of the things that we use them for, to go into the schools and the churches and to be to kind of make be the leadership to their own peers, their own age. So when people see them all uniformed and controlled, and it's a great thing. But in order to be a junior Guardian Angel, you've got to have your grades squared away. You've got to listen to your parents. So a lot of this, it depends on you how to, how to stay a junior guardian angel. And you're around positive people and you're doing, you're doing positive things. So you go to seminars and you help feed the homeless and all this. And a lot of cities have the junior angel programs. And I think that, you know, you subject your kids around positive people and that's who they become. Because you know what, now you're not following the bad habits. You know, now you kind of sit back and you take, you say to yourself, well, wait a minute, I can't behave this way because if I do, it's going to have an effect on my chapter and my angels. And even Crush will tell you every minute all the senior angels behave the same way. We watch what we do out in public, whether we're in college or not, because we know how it affects our chapter and then how it affects angels all around the world. We can't afford to make that mistake and ruin everybody. So you want to do better. And that's what that's what the guardian angels, you know, try to do. That's what we try to do. So we're hoping to get involved more within the schools and uh, and the youth community, youth community to get them in here. You know, that's, so that's what we, that's we try to do, but it's just so part hard. Of your it's, solution is to get more people into the junior guardian angels and and get them off the path of the streets and drugs and you know all of that kind of thing, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's you want to but you know, I'm going to be frank. Yep. That, like I said earlier, that's a long-term solution to the to this problem that Baltimore has to prevent, uh, you know, our children from growing up and being these killers. But the more immediate problem, we these adults mm-hmm. need to take responsibility for their actions. You know, we hear drug dealers say, oh, well, my mom was a crackhead and I grew up in the foster care system. Um, Now, I get that. But, you know, I say all the time that, you know, I understand what you've gone through. But Strider came from a very similar background as some of these young men. Um, You know, I don't know, Strider, if you want to touch on that a little bit. It's all about choices. It's right. all about choices. That is because you had a terrible childhood does not give you the right to become one of the most ruthless drug dealers in Baltimore City and take out anybody that you want. That is not an excuse. And I use Strider as an example because this man did not have a very good childhood, but look what he did with that. He turned that tragedy into triumph, and he vowed to have, you know, to better his community 
be a better father and raise his kids so they so that they could have a better childhood. But that's not an excuse, and we hear that so many times. You know, well, I have to me when I was younger, so I'm going to do this. This is my payback to the world. No, that's not acceptable. Look at what happened to you. You don't want anybody else to go through what you've gone through. Start a mentoring program. Be a mentor to somebody else. But that's not an excuse to go out here and kill people. It's just not, because there are so many people who have gone Mm -hmm. through what you've gone through, and they've... Turn that tragedy into triumph. They did something good. They're productive. That's just not an excuse. So, Crush, in order to change adult behavior, because we think after a certain point, you know, oh, well, it's very hard to change adult behavior. Your brains are formed or your, your whatever it is. Do you try to, I mean, hypothetically in the short term, pair those ruthless people with somebody like a Marcus to say, look, They've turned their life around. This is what you need to do. You need to, you need to, uh, you know, shadow this person. You need to whatever. How do we change adult behavior when you're talking about a ruthless, potential ruthless killer here? Honestly, I don't think you can change adult behavior. It's not up to other people to change the adult. The adult has to make that decision. Right. to want to change and to want right. to do better because there are guardian angel chapters that do take criminals or convicted felons. It's all in their perspective. You know, we look at their crime. Of course, we don't take like pedophiles or things of that, criminals of that nature. But, you know, uh, if we have a couple of older guardian angels, I uh, believe one is in Virginia, uh, all over the U.S. really, that are older, they serve time in jail, they are convicted felons, they've learned their lesson, and they want to reach out to some of these young men and tell them, hey, that's not the way to go. And honestly, I feel like that's, some people may frown upon that, but, you know, those people who spent stints in jail um, can preach more and talk more to some of these young men better than I could, because I've never been to prison. And I'm not a young African-American male growing up in Baltimore City. So for someone who's made those bad decisions, paid through it through the criminal justice system, gone through things like tried to get a job, can't because of their criminal record, can tell somebody, hey, you need to stop it because this is what you're facing. I'm what you're Mm -hmm. looking at, you know. So somebody like that could be a huge deterrent to somebody that's out there on the corner selling drugs. But somebody right. like Marcus Strider-Dent could also be a deterrent, someone who's never been to jail, uh, who, you know, chose a better path. Um, but I do feel like sometimes it's it does uh, ring a little bit better to the person that's already done it, served the jail time, and is, you know, repenting and trying to do better. Yeah. Well, but, you, you, know, made, you made very good points. You can't change an adult. An adult has to make that decision that I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and we have a lot of uh, social media activists. They like to complain about stuff that's going on, but they they won't come out. They would just rather sit on the computer and, you know, harass people, say what this person needs to do, what that person needs to do, but won't help this person or organization make this world a better place. Right, instead of being proactive. Yeah, it's really up to that adult to want to do better. Well, that's a tall order, you know. But you know what I'm wondering also uh, in the last five minutes or so, we we thought perhaps we would have the opportunity, but because of other commitments, Curtis might have joined us, and maybe in the future we can do this. But, Marcus, can you tell people just uh, briefly uh, who Curtis was and what would he what would he say in this conversation if he was here with us today? Curtis Lewa is the founder of the Guardian Angels. And uh, like I said, he started in, in uh, 1979 in New York City. And at the time, Curtis was a manager at McDonald's. And he saw all the people coming into his store late at night, getting robbed and mugged and beat up on. And he grabbed a bunch of guys and took them down into the subway and stood there and literally stood guard and made sure that nothing went on in that platform. Now, 36 years later, we have Guardian Angels worldwide. And I know exactly what Curtis Lee would say if he was on this show. And he is looking forward to speak with you, um, Lady Justice, just so you know. And, but one <laughs> well, of the good. things is, yeah, he's, and, and Curtis is amazing because this, just like the Freddie Gray incident, he's seen this before. He's been here before. 
there's very few things that happen now, crime-wise or victim-wise, that Curtis hasn't already done in 36 years with the Guardian Angels all over the world. And one of the things that he will say is that, hey, if you want to fix whatever problem you have going on in your neighborhood, it's up to the community to do it because you have government breakdown. You have, you know, the political breakdown. You have issues with the law enforcement. All these things come to a head because of, let's say, um, uh, financial reasons or political reasons or whatever the issues are, and then it always comes back down to the community because if you learn to self-police and also learn how to manipulate your politicians who work for you in the first place and making sure that they get you what you need, you, your, your community is not going to have any issue. So his whole big thing is, is getting the community involved, not just to walk the streets as guardian angels, but to literally take control of everything that goes on in your community by standing up, using your voice, either in the political system or talking to your council people, but banding together to make the positive happen and demand the change you want. That's exactly what he would say. And, and that's what we try to use here as guardian angels to help educate people. Because think about it. You get more than 20 people in the neighborhood that's going to go down to City Hall and say, you know what, that light on our corner has been broken forever. We want to fix. They're going to fix that light. You know, they can't get in office without you, but the main thing is to educate the community to say, hey, it's up to you to make the change. This is your community. Cops come in, they go to work, they don't live in your community. Politicians, same thing. This is your community. Fix it. Mm-hmm. Well, very very well said. Um do you do you have any like a, a a one-to-one personal story that that has happened recently that might illustrate to us that that change is possible before we have to uh, uh, sign off on the air? Just wondering to bring it down to the personal level is always creates an impact. Well, I'll go real quick and I'll let let Crush go. But what I, as far as personal impact, what I see is during the riot. After the riots, and of course before the riots, but mostly after, you know, what I like is the fact that as the guardian angels go through our communities, you know, we are still, we have still upheld our level of trust that the community have for the guardian angels here. And no matter how bad things have gotten, and I mean, there's a lot of times we don't agree with community or police or whatever. We, we do what we got to do, but we've, we've, we've been able to remain our strong support base here in Baltimore. And that shows me that, you know what, I think no matter what we go through here in, in Baltimore, my team has done a great job in upholding and being consistent with what we believe and how we do things. So, therefore, you know, that's what I look at. If it's one of those things where they're looking at us and act like we didn't do anything or we're messing something up, you know, but all across the board, you know, we, we have a proud chapter, and, and that, that's how well, that- I judge what we do. Well, we're very proud of, of your work and Fresh's work and everyone there because we know that every single day you're putting your life at risk being on the street there, you know, in those. But that's the sacrifice you make, and uh, I just want to say it's it's been a great pleasure. Um, Crush, would you like to have some parting comments before we leave and then give us your, your address for any donations in the future again? Sure. Um, you know, I'd like to end this by just saying that, you know, don't be afraid to be involved in your community. One of my favorite quotes by Gandhi is, be the change that you want to see in the world. If you feel like people are not being good parents, start something to, you know, give them the tools and resources to be good parents. If you're tired of the drug dealers on your corner, work with the police and, you know, organizations and figure out how you can get these young men employed and off the corner. Um, mm-hmm. If you love children, uh, see how you can help out single parents with their kids. Or if you like cooking, uh, volunteer at the homeless shelter, cook gourmet meals for them or something, you know. But don't be There's afraid. A way. Be the change. Yes, be There's the change way. that you want to see in the world. Um, don't be afraid to be proactive uh, because yeah. we, the, we only see the bad in the world. Very rarely do you see the good. And there are so many more good people than there are the horrific stuff that we see all over the news. For every for all those stories, there are ten great stories that we just don't hear about because it's not newsworthy. It should be, but it's right. not. So well, don't be afraid to be proactive. That. Yeah, yeah, thank you for reminding definitely. me. Definitely. <laughs> give us uh, and thank you for all that you do. We we really. Uh, 
so appreciate it. Uh, we really do. Um, what's what's the address again if people want to donate? BaltimoreGuardianAngels.org. Or uh, okay. you can email us, BaltimoreGuardianAngels at gmail.com. Very, very good. And uh, Delilah, any parting words? Oh, I, I Again, I would just like to say it, I'm proud to have met you, and I, I'm so yeah. proud to know you're out there. And um happy to hear it and can't wait to have you back again. I know. Well, Please thank back so with Curtis. Okay, bring Curtis next time. If we can manage we it, okay? We'll yeah, work yeah, on yeah. it. You, you okay. won't need me in crush for Curtis. He's good. <laughs> okay. Well with that said, we're gonna close out this edition of Shattered Life and thank you so much for a wonderful show. We started the conversation. Everyone have a safe and peaceful weekend and we'll see you next week. Good evening.